Hello and welcome to another exciting and, you guessed it, jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm your host. I'm Danny Lobel. I'm back stateside in La La Land, Los Angeles, California, where the sun don't stop shining. No longer in Scotland, where the rain don't stop raining. But boy, that was some month there at the Edinburgh Festival. I gotta say, nothing like I thought it was gonna be, and... More than I'd hoped for, less than I'd hoped for, I don't know, like no other experience I've ever had, and I hope I get to do it again next year. I got great reviews, I did about 24 hours of comedy over the month, I met so many incredible people, one of whom you're going to hear from today, a man named Jim Owen, who's a big time comedian in Australia, originally from Ireland, and tours all over the UK making his New York City debut September 5th in New York at the Soho Theater. So make sure if you're in New York City, go and see him. Okay, now a little bit of business. Little bit of business. First things first, we have a word from our sponsor, Stand Up Records. Warning, last year over 40,000 Americans died in car-related accidents. Not a pleasant thought, is it? In fact, as thoughts go, it's downright depressing. Well, that's where we can help cheer you up. We're StandUpRecords.com, and we offer the finest in CDs, DVDs, downloads, and merchandise from the best comedians on Earth. Artists like Mark Maron, Maria Bamford, Eddie Pepitone, and Doug Stanhope. Available at fine record stores, Amazon.com, and the iTunes Music Store. That's StandUpRecords.com. Come on, listen to us while you're driving. Live dangerously. Stand Up Records, the brand you know, the brand you love. You love them. You know you love them, baby. Because they bring you all that fine, fine comedy. On vinyl, CD, DVD, MP3, all that kind of stuff. StandUpRecords.com, where you can pick up my two albums, Danny LaBelle, Some Kind of Comedian, and the new one, Danny LaBelle, The Nicest Boy in Barcelona. In Barcelona, the nicest boy in Barcelona. Bravo. Bravo, it's a really good album. Go and pick it up. It's very nice. Very, very nice comedy show. It is funny. It's stories. It's me in Spain. And I would love it if you got a copy. This episode is also brought to you by Renovatio Enterprises. Do you suffer from bad credit? And I do mean suffer because having bad credit might mean... You can't get a loan. You can't get a credit card. You can't do things that everybody else has the luxury of doing because their credit score is good and your credit score is shit. But don't worry about it because Renovatio Enterprises can and will help. They have a no-cost, no-obligation analysis to determine exactly what's holding your score down, which means for no money to you, they'll tell you what's going on. Then, if you want to go forward, and you will... All you have to do is put down $250 as a deposit. You don't pay for anything else until the negative item or items get removed from your score. And they guarantee you will get over a 700 credit score in as little as 30 days. They can help get you qualified for a new credit card or unsecured personal loan. Go to renovacioenterprises.com. That's R-E-N-O-V-A-T-I-O. 
E-N-T-E-R-P-R-I-S-E-S dot com or call them at their toll-free number 888-443-2908. That's 888-443-2908. Get your credit fixed today. I did it. They know what they're doing. The service works. I'm not advertising something that doesn't work. Go and check it out. They're very, very good at what they do. All right. And now, like I told you, I got the opportunity to talk to this incredible comedian who I didn't even know existed until the Edinburgh Festival, but apparently he's quite a big deal. And I saw his show. It was phenomenal. And I got to sit with him and talk to him, and that was phenomenal, too. And you'll hear it just a second. Okay, that's about a second. So now you can hear it. Okay, without further ado, except for the intro song, my talk with the one and only Jim Owen. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. I'm sitting here with Jim Owen. Yes, you are. And we're recording at the Edinburgh Festival in Bonnie, Scotland. And I saw your show last night. It was fantastic. Thanks for calling. Thanks for having me. I never knew you existed. You're a big deal. I am? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? There's like all this magic in the world that you don't even that's know it. exists. That's it. We're all little folk singers traveling around the world. And we have our own little collection of people that follow you. And uh, I think it's becoming more the case now, isn't it? Uh, everyone has their own little niche. Yeah. But yeah, so I've been, uh, you know, well, uh, if you're in America and I'm over here, but as well as that, I'm in Australia. I live in Australia. I have done for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, nearly, nearly 30 years. Um, 29. And I have married. I have kids there. And because I'm from this part of the world, because I'm from Ireland, uh, I used to go, or I still do, go to the Edinburgh Fringe. I've done 25 of them. So I came every year because then it looked like I had a presence here. It looked like, um, you know, I was living in the UK, but I wasn't. I was in Australia. And then I about uh, six years ago, I started touring here. And now so I, I regularly, that basically means I come here for longer stints. This is a three-month stint. And I'll do a stint in fe- February. But, yeah, so I tour the UK, Ireland, uh Scotland, that's all part of the UK, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, and I'm going to New York for the first time. Well, I've done New York quite a few times. I did Conan O'Brien four times in the 90s, uh, but I haven't been back since, and I've never done a theatre, so I'm looking forward to doing a week in a theatre mm-hmm. in New York. So you've been a big deal for a while if you were doing Conan in the 90s, right? Um, yeah, well, I've been doing stand-up for a while. Uh, I've been doing stand-up for 26, 27 years, 27 years. Okay. And you started in Ireland then? No, I started in Australia. I went out on a year's traveling visa and uh, uh, stayed. And then in the second year, there was a comedy night and I got up and told jokes. And that was uh, my introduction to stand-up. I told joke, joke jokes. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't do stand-up. I didn't even know what stand-up was, to be honest. And then I watched the rest of the night and thought, yeah, I'd love to turn my mind towards this. Mm-hmm. You know the way you see something, you go, I'd love to have a go at that. Never really thinking it was going to be a career, more like, like a bungee jump. Just, I'll give this, give this a whirl. Yeah, that's how I got into it. Mm. I didn't know yeah. it existed either. Yeah, how'd you get into it? I started when I was 15, and uh, I didn't know stand-up comedy existed till I saw it on Seinfeld. When Seinfeld would do go. a little stand-up on his sitcom, I, I thought he invented it. So yeah, when I yeah. went, I did an open mic, I thought I was the second person ever to do it after him. I was like, I'm going to catch on to what this is. Well, I knew who Billy Conley was, who's a big star over here, but I didn't know there was a whole scene, probably mm-hmm. similar to what your your thoughts were. Yeah. I actually knew Billy Connolly, but I didn't know he did stand-up. I knew Gee. him because my mom is from Glasgow, and uh, Billy Connolly's just, you know, he's in the vocabulary. Right. You know? But... uh yeah, this is my first festival after all these years. I've never done the Edinburgh Festival before. Your mom's a Glaswegian. Yeah. Ouija, hey. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, no, this is a, an amazing festival for the people listening that are unaware of it. Uh, I had friends, they came over from Australia to Edinburgh, and were totally unaware that there was a festival going on. Really? Yeah, we couldn't find accommodation. It's like how I didn't know that you, you've been doing yeah, comedy yeah, for 20 yeah. It's yeah. like there's all these big things that exist in the world, and yes. it's, it's impressive that they're, like they're that. able to hide, you know? Yes. From, from everybody's consciousness. Like, it, it's incredible that so much is going on. So many big things are going on all the time yeah. that we're just completely oblivious to. Probably for the best. Yeah, I remember seeing... Racing car drivers, Formula One, come to town and thinking, wow, this is all very important to these people, but it means nothing to me. Uh, and they'll be seeing with, you know, a lot of sports where the stars of the sport are big stars in their own country, but in other parts of the world, nobody knows or cares. Right. And rightfully so. It's it's crazy because mm. we ascribe so much importance to what we do. To our own existence. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So I know. you left Ireland ages ago uh, for Australia. 18, 18. I went to London for four years. Which is interesting to me because I saw your show and you talked a lot about Ireland. I don't think you even brought up Australia. I think it's more evident in my accent than mm-hmm. me mentioning it. I opened my mouth and sort of my nationality falls out. Do you still feel in, like you're Irish or do you no, feel Australian? subscribe to uh, I do in tradition I love Irish music I love uh, I love the little dances <laughs> um, and I think it's a frame of mind but boundaries like I came from Northern Ireland and that's part of Britain and so but people in Southern Ireland didn't consider us Irish they thought we were part, they, we were British but we considered ourselves Irish because we were Catholic so then the result was he didn't really care about nationality mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't yeah, it's interesting in Ireland. There's so much division mm. in that such a small country. Yeah, Northern Ireland or Southern Ireland, mm. or would you just call it? Well, I'm from Northern Ireland, but Northern Ireland is part of Great Britain. Right. So uh, Scotland, England, Wales, and Northern Ireland are one mm. country. Yeah. Called Great Britain, and the south of Ireland, as we call it, the Republic, is another country. The Republic of Ireland. Yeah. So there's that division, then there's the Catholic and Protestant division, yeah. and the, and then there's class divisions. There's so many divisions, it's almost impossible for yeah. two people to get along in Ireland. Well, where, where I live, I live in Northern Ireland, but Southern Ireland's closer to me because it's right on the water. So we're only 10 miles from Southern Ireland mm-hmm. as far as the water's concerned. 
because uh, it's a peninsula. Uh, so on one side of the house, if you're in the front of the house and you're on your mobile phone, you couldn't answer the phone because it would pick up the signal from the Republic of Ireland. So you get charged on an international call. Oh, man. So you had to go to the other end of the... So like the phone rang, you had to, <laughs> don't answer it here because you'll be sent a massive bill. So you had to go to the other end of the house where the receiver would pick it up from the back end of the house. So that sort of rubbish, you know, that sort of carry on. I want to talk a little bit about... <clears throat> I want to bring up a little bit about your comedy because I thought your style was really unique and wonderful. And I, I told my wife it was kind of like a... A soft kiss, the way you, <laughs> yeah, you, you approach comedy. It's, I didn't, yeah. I didn't expect it because your posters looked like it was going to be like super energized, something you know, looked like an action movie. Your poster, yeah, but it's it's, it's misleading, a, isn't it? I don't know if you said. First of all, I think an hour is too long for stand up. I think a whole show, uh, one person, especially when there's so many different things on at the festival. I think so, and then to come at them at the same level. Uh, of wow, bam, bam is, you know, I really try and make a point of finding different subject matters. If I can find a different subject matter from other people's subject matters, that's a good starting point. Uh, equally as important as the joke itself. Um, not That's not going to stop me from doing a good gag, regardless of what it's on. Uh, and, and a style that is different to other people's styles. Those two things, I think, will help you rise uh, in any profession if you can... Uh, stand out in those ways. Uh, it's very important. Yeah, but I loved this style. It was so gentle, uh, and I was like, "Oh, he seems like such a sweet guy." <laughs> and I think that's that resonates with your audience. I think. Oh, good. Yeah, I think I think you have a a, a sweetness to your comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did, Danny. That's great. <laughs> that's nice. So tell me, tell me a little bit about growing up in Ireland and moving to Australia. Um. Well, I was born in England because my father was working on a building site uh, over there at the time. Uh, but when I was one, they moved back to uh, Northern Ireland uh, the year the Troubles started, the year the modern day wharf, 1967. My mum always blamed me. She was, it was your fault. <laughs> uh, but then I le left there when I was 18. And, um, and I got a regular question, what was that like growing up in that? But you didn't know anything else. You didn't really know that there was another sort of uh, world where, you know, there, were, there weren't trips on the street or the news wasn't about people being, places being blown up constantly or your continuous road checks. or But that was just the norm, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went to London at 18, and I was amazed at the fact that um, they wouldn't take the money I was giving them. I was trying to argue that it wasn't Irish money, it was Northern Irish money. All of a sudden, I'd changed my tune. I was going, but this is what the war's about. What war? Well, this is what, aren't you the enemy? No, we have no interest in this. Oh, my God. So then I started realizing, no, the, the people in England have no more interest in what's going on in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And that was a big eye-opener. Uh, and then, you know, I think guy class, well, we, what's that all about? We was playing out. Uh, sort yourself out. And I was going, but this is about you people. You, you you own our country. This is what the fight is about. No, it's all about you. No, so anyway, um, that was the realisation. And from 18 to 22, I lived in London. I feel like we're skipping a lot. Did I? Yeah. Well, tell me about growing up. What kind of uh, household did you have? Were there siblings? Yeah. Your dad four, was in building? or My mum was a school teacher. 
my auntie, we, we were often farmed out. Like this happens quite a bit if you're from large families. But we were, I was the youngest of four, but uh, my aunties, there was nine or eight kids. Or, and we'd be farmed out to my auntie. So I lived with my auntie for two years and went to school there, uh, which was in preparation for an exam called the 11 plus. Mm-hmm. And if you passed that exam, you got free education for the next five years until your old level. So you could go to a really good school oh, for free. How they weed out the smarter ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, you could pay to go to the good school, or if, if you got your eleven plus, um, you got it for free. So we went to this training camp, which was my granny's house, uh-huh. and was taught by my aunt who was a school teacher who specialized in the 11 plus that was she had put quite a number of her nephews and nieces through the program of right this is what you're going to have to study this is what you're going to it was an IQ test but it was algebra it was you know anyway like any exam if you know if you practice that bit over and over again you're good at that bit so um, I passed my 11 plus and got that really nice school in the town that I came from, which was a convent right on a cliff. And, a uh, convent meaning like a church town? Yeah, yeah, like a, it was taught by nuns. Um, it was just a, a, a seaside town, but a be- like an old castle, mm-hmm. and it was a convent. And uh, it taught so the nuns were the school teachers. And uh, that was, uh, you know, I, I had real trouble reading and writing, I discovered that I had, you know, a real problem with those. I was good at mathematics, but uh, what they would call dyslexia mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I just, and concentration span. So I failed terribly at that stage uh, and then went to a technical college and it did really well there because it was... What did you study? Building. Like your dad? Yeah, like my dad. So, yeah. And he was a very mechanically minded person, uh, could build things and... I aspired to being like that, you know, we were always fixing stuff, fixing cars, you know, doing extensions on house. I'd work with him at the weekends. Mm-hmm. So did you I, like it? I did. I, d- I did and I didn't. I didn't. Like, my mates would go out on Friday night and I had to go to bed early because I'd be working Saturday morning. Um, not all the time, but if there was a big job on and he needed you, you had to be there, you know, just pull pull your weight. And looking back on it, as a parent, I think that was a good thing. But at the time, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, but I enjoyed being with him. Uh, and I enjoyed that. And I saw other people. And then I went as a builder. I was living in a flat. And these guys were working in an office. And I thought, of the two options, I think I need to be outside doing something physical, doing something where I'm using my brain, but also using my hands. Mm-hmm. And so I did enjoy that. Yeah, it's more creative work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very it's it's a it's both things. It's creative and it's also you know you have to really put your mind to it and figure out you have to have your head turned on. So yeah, yeah that that was uh, uh, that was a thing. Where after the technical college, I got straight to uh, a polytechnic in London. So that got me. What is that? It's a university. They call it universities now, but okay. Uh, I studied building management again, so I just did that there. And I did a course which was half uh, the year at college and half the year on a building site. And uh, 
And then when I finished that, uh, inspired by a friend, he came back from uh, the first year of being at work uh, six months where I was getting paid £50 a week. He came back with a new car and he put a deposit on a house. I said, well, what'd you do? And he goes, I just phoned an agency. I told him I was 26. I had a civil engineering degree and no one ever checked. And I turned up and then they sent me my wages. They never ever met me. He was getting £750 a week. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm having some of that. So I did exactly that and I worked for two years getting paid £750 a week and uh, just lied about my age and lied about my degree. Do you think your training and building was useful in building a career, building a family? Yep. Yep. I think uh, I think a lot of us need to get back to that, sort of like the hunter-gatherer, as I talk on my show. But being um, being hands-on is a great thing. There was a great thing I saw about the Twin Towers uh, coming down and the, the white-colored workers froze and the blue-colored workers moved and knew what to do. And... Uh, I think also as well as that, you're happier in yourself within your mind because you, you're doing the thing that as an animal is closer to the thing that you should be doing. And that's a primal thing. If you give kids a set of blocks, they'll start building. Mm-hmm. So it's a primal thing that... Yeah, built into who we are. Mm. Interesting. So how do, you, how do you feel that the building experience has shaped what you do now that you're doing a different kind of building? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have, uh, most of my friends are still builders. I tr- tr- tend to gravitate towards those sort of people. That, you know, uh, someone says that if you're ever uncomfortable, put p- put your ha- uh, put your head or put your hands where your head should be. So start making something, and then you'll get out of your head. You know. That, that, Running yeah, around I inside your own that head. Saying, but it makes yeah. sense. Running around your own head is a scary place, you know. It's a, you know. <laughs> I know. I've been doing yeah. it for a long time. You know, it's, it's, don't go. Someone says it's a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go in there on your own. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, a good way of getting away from it is just uh, doing something with your hands and uh, being involved in that. Uh, I've got a father-in-law who was identical to my father in as far as they could really turn their hand to anything. They could do things, they could make things, and they would overcome the problem and they would figure it out. And you'd just go, wow, that's a brain like no other, really. So I'm a builder probably at heart, and then I'm probably a stand-up second. And I still, like, I love looking at buildings. They go, how did they look at that? You know, I walk along the streets looking up at buildings. I'm looking forward to I've been watching a documentary on New York. I'm watching quite a number of documentaries on New York. Do you ever do that, yeah. try and get yourself in the frame of mind of the city you're going to? No, but I think I should. Yeah, it's a really, because then all of a sudden you start seeing it, you know, and you're looking for these buildings. You're going, yeah, that was that was then. That was how this thing all took off and the whole history of it. So, yeah. That's one thing I always liked about Woody Allen's movies is that the buildings are characters in the movies too. Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah, especially like you look at. You ever seen the movie Hannah and Her Sisters? No, it's a great film. What's it called? Hannah and Her Sisters. Okay, and it's showing New yeah. York. Yeah, you know. that. I I don't know. Do you 
You know that that classical uh, music. No, don't know. Well, anyway, no. there's that music and and it, that, that comes in and the buildings of New York are just like these amazing shots, bump, 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 bump. And as a New Yorker, I watch. I live in L.A. now, but still always a New Yorker. When I watch that, I go, Oh yeah, yeah, that's a city. You know, it is a city. It's a, like no other city. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many cities identical. Like in the UK, I, in Australia, or in a lot of places, you're in a shopping mall and you could be in any shopping mall. You could be in any city. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all got the same brand, the big names, John Lewis. It's just every city centre, they've got one of these department stores. You're inside it. You could be anywhere. Right. Um, but New York, you're in New York. So, And I'm also watching this thing. Mozart in the Jungle, which is uh, about the, the uh, New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Ah. And it's showing you a lot of New York, and you get a sense of being there. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah. So, Can you see flaws in buildings when you when you look at them? Can you be like, ah, they did that wrong. They should have. No, but I'll tell you what I do notice in New York, and this is what really catches my eye, is the bits in between the buildings on a street level. Uh, so you'll see the facade, which is this new shop, like could be Subway or some other little chain, mm-hmm. and then another little facade from some other little chain, and then there'll be a little gap in between where the two haven't matched up. And I look into that gap and I go, there's the old building behind that. I can see I can see two, three hundred years ago. I can see that <laughs> bit of plaster and that bit of brickwork. And that's the bit I'm always looking at going, there's the bit of New York that I'm trying to see. You romanticize the past because it's it, it was more beautiful and now everything is... Yeah, All right, I'll just that... ask it. Why, why is the past more impressive than the present? It's not. It's just part of the present. Uh, I think it's really helping me. Uh, like, you, you know, you, I, I'm, when I'm in New York, I'm always impressed, kind of, you know, take deep breaths and... You go, oh, yeah, you know. You always pick your nose when there's a beautiful sight because you could do that big, oh, and then go, yeah, there's a couple up there. <laughs> 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 but I'm impressed enough with New York. I like I like the, uh, I like the, uh, I've had an interesting time in New York. I spent a day with a drug dealer. He came to see my show in Conan. Uh-huh. And uh, he was a, a, a cocaine dealer. And uh, he, I said, well, but he said to me, because Conan's at 4.30. And uh, I said, what are you doing now? I know exactly what he did. Oh, I'm just doing my thing. And I goes, well, I'll just hang out with you. And he goes, yeah, that's all right. So I spent a day with a, a Coke dealer. And that was really interesting uh, just to see. This is back in the 90s where you had a pager. Yeah. And the number would come up. And then a, a what's the, has, the hashtag thing. And then another number, three digits, which uh-huh. was the room number of the hotel. So he would phone up and it would say, oh, this is a hotel. And then he would go there and just get in the elevator, go up to the lift and just drop off goodies to these people. Uh-huh. Would it have been as interesting if he was delivering pizzas? No, I don't think <laughs> so. But it became very interesting seeing the people he was delivering uh, to and the state that they were in. And uh, that was kind of interesting. He didn't touch his stuff. And you just go, wow, look at this these people. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, the walking dead. I got my brother a job in L.A. working at an Italian restaurant when he first moved out there. And I told him, I think you're working for the mob. 
And so he built up this whole romanticized idea that he was in this mafia job. Yeah. And they gave him a delivery of a bunch of pizzas to bring to this place 40 minutes away. Yeah. So he takes the pizzas. He's got them in the car the whole time. He's sweating, driving to this place because he thinks they're full of drugs, these pizza boxes. And he's, he's going to meet this guy, Vinny or something, at this car dealership 40 minutes away. And he's like, what if, you know, what am I getting into? What's going on? And, pulls over the car and he's like i gotta i gotta know what i'm delivering and he opens up the boxes and there's pizza <laughs> and then he Bastard. realizes i'm just doing pizza deliveries <laughs> my favorite joke so. she put half a brick in my wife's handbag and she didn't she didn't know about it for two or three days and i honestly think it's probably the funniest thing i've ever done in my life really <laughs> forget 25 edinburgh's dvs or film that was the funniest thing yeah but I told him, I'm like, listen, how much more exciting was it when you didn't think it was pizza? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah. What are you going ahead with it? That was the question. That was, you know, yeah. what have you seen it through? <laughs> so you moved to Australia when you were 22. 22 to continue on as a builder? Uh, yeah, yeah. I had uh, ideas of doing something other than working, you know. When I met that friend that uh, just lied about his age, lied about his degree, that was a you know that was a moment and a, that was a moment where I realised yeah, you can do anything, you can be anything, and there was definitely something in a geographical leap location. We're sitting, by the way, looking at a map of the world, uh, United States. I read a book on Jack Nicholson, and he went to uh, L.A. from Middle America. And he said there was something about crossing the Rockies, which is what he had to do then, that made you feel that you could reinvent yourself. You could go to this place where no one from your past could get to you and say, you can't do that because I know your family, uh, which people don't do, but you have that in your head that people do that. Mm -hmm. And going to Australia was that, I thought I can really reinvent myself here. And that's why I started doing stand-up. I don't know if I would have, done it in Ireland or, you know, I probably wouldn't have. But the, I went to this far place of the world, all the opposite side of the planet, just to get away from my past, which was all invented in my head. People couldn't care less what I did, you know. But what was the past that you were running from? Uh, just my past, really. Like, uh, sometimes you find yourself in a social group thinking, you know, I'm just way down the rung here. I'm not going to rise up unless I find I know that my own. feeling. Yeah, yeah. I just got to f I've got to f go somewhere else. Um uh really that that's it, you know, and, and that's out of no disrespect to my friends, but I just felt, you know, that that's probably long enough for those people. You know, we're not tied together like through blood. We just happen to know each other through school. You think you know me, but you don't know me. I've got to go somewhere else because I don't even know me. I've got to go somewhere else. I've figured this one out. Oh, I love that. Mm. So you, you start this whole clean slate. Yeah. Go out to Australia to yeah. find yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, I could do anything. You know, I could just, so I did stand up and just did it without even blinking. I really had no, I hear of other people's uh, introduction to that comedy and the nerves and the building up and watching it for ages. I had none of that. Uh, but I had 
a new country. So I had a new slate uh, as opposed to everyone else doing it with all of these feelings of everybody knows me. Was it a relief getting out of Ireland with the violence? I didn't know that that was uh, uh, a big thing because I hadn't been. But I do... Um, I don't have a lot of time for sectarian sort of rubbish. I don't have a lot of time for the Celtic Rangers rivalry that they have here. I think it's wasted energy. Mm -hmm. Just to explain back home, those are the two football teams in Scotland. One is Protestant, that's the Rangers, and the other one is Catholic, yeah. that's the Celtics. And it's like Bloods and Crips based on like you, you're wearing their colors. Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal out here. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they, in the 70s and 80s, uh, there was a guy murdered someone uh, at a football match and he was able to get housed as a political prisoner because he considered himself as part of the war when he really was just a, a supporter of a football match and the person he killed was a totally innocent person. Uh, so that level of sectarianism was the real undertone. There was a band called The Undertones in, in Northern Ireland yeah. and that was the word that typified it for me. Uh, it was... Uh, it was an undertone. You had to watch where you went. You had to watch who you talked to. You didn't talk to those people. You kept your mouth shut around those people. Yeah. You had secret conversations about those people when those people weren't there. You know, utter rubbish. It's a it's a serious thing. In fact, there's a there's a joke amongst the Jews of Scotland that you could be walking down the street and somebody says, "You're in a rough neighborhood. You Catholic or or Protestant?" And they say, "I'm." I'm Jewish, right? But are you a Catholic Jew or a Protestant? <laughs> I thought you were going to tell the joke about the guy walking through Belfast. He gets a gun on his back, and the voice says, "Catholic or Protestant?" He goes, "Neither. I'm a Jew." And the voice says, "Man, I must be the luckiest Palestinian in Belfast." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> So you're out there, you're in Australia, you're rebuilding. You're the builder who's who started rebuilding yep. in Australia. Yep. And again, I'm going back to this question, like when you're building, you have a blueprint. Um, you back follow, then you did, yeah. You follow a, a structure. Yeah. And it seems like you scrapped the blueprint yeah. and went out there to, to start building abstractly. Yeah, I don't know. I... There was a comedy scene, um, and I was very much someone who, I mean, I've got an amazing ability for jokes. If you tell a joke, I'll remember a joke related to that subject matter. Like and you I just could, did. Uh, yeah, and I could just do that nonstop. I could keep going. I've got maybe five, six jokes in my head, but I could, if anybody told me a joke, I could tell you another joke, but I could tell you who told me that joke. I could tell you where I was when I heard that joke. Oh, wow. That's great. Because those jokes are very rare. Like a, I maybe hear two or three new jokes a year. I'll have to stop someone. Never, I've heard that one, you know, but um, or not stop them and pretend you haven't heard it. It's even worse. Uh -huh. uh, but I had that repertoire and I had that ability to structure a story. So I think I already had a great uh, footing in uh, to stick to the building terms. I had a great foundation in comedy without realizing it because we wouldn't have been socially loud. We would never given our two cents on our political views. Uh, we were never told anecdotes or interesting stories, but you'd have told gags. Mm -hmm. You know, you told gags to your blue in the face, uh, and everyone did. And they, and then, and I know other friends, 
that would be quite quiet people, but they would just tell a gag to show that, that was what, how you talked, really. Right. I have a theory that they're like parables. You know the way in the Bible they tell a story to, to get a message across. Right. So based on that way of preaching, someone's taken the parable and just made it funny. And that's what a joke is, really. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, because don't, people don't tell parables anymore. They tell, you know, they have a, a, an opinion. Uh, but they don't tell you, two men walked to Jerusalem. <laughs> and on the way there, you know, no one ever tells those sort of stories, but yeah. that's what a joke is. Two guys walking along a road. And on the way there, it's, you know, so they're just yeah. basically taking a parable, put a funny ending on it, and uh, these, are, these are the things that have been passed down. Yeah. Wow. I never looked at it like that, but I agree. Yeah. Being raised by nuns in Ireland and in the small by wolves. Town. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised by wolves. Uh, I wore a habit. <laughs> a little mini habit. Did you retain the religiousness? No, no, not really. Um, I, I Yeah, I would be spiritual, but um, I didn't really... Uh, uh, but I can see the comfort that some people get in it, and I could never take that away from them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a nice uh, thing, that, a nice sense of peace. And then there's these other things like meditation where people do mantras and have 20 minutes of meditation at night to empty the brain. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's the rosary. We used to do the rosary every night before going to sleep. Yeah, prayer is meditation. Yeah, yeah. we could down on their knees and... So, oh yeah, I can see, I can see how those things are kind of spiritual, but I, I, I believe that we don't know. I believe ultimately we don't know, and we don't know for a reason. That's a very good reason for not knowing. Because I've thought, what? Well, imagine you did know for sure there was a heaven, then you'd be a sycophant, wouldn't you? Everyone would be living their life trying to be super nice. Uh, or if you didn't, if you knew for definite there was nothing then everyone would be selfish and really, you know, going flat out for their own desires. But the fact that you don't know is the best scenario. And I think we don't know and we will always not know as the way it should be. Yeah, and that's, I think, if you knew, that takes away all free choice, right? Yes, that yes, that, absolutely. What, what you're describing. Yes. Um, so, yeah. so this is the best of the two options. Is the not knowing. Not knowing, yeah. And, and, and accept that, accept that, uh, you know, People that say there is nothing, they don't know. And the people that say there is something, they don't know. Right, they're right. just they're just being, you know, the, the people that say they don't know, they've got equally as strong a faith as the people that say that they do know. Do you lean towards nothing or something? I lean towards not knowing. <laughs> Life's short enough without spending your time thinking about an answer you're never going to know. What have been some of the best things you've found in life? Uh Getting on with it, I think that being depressed is a human thing. It's not really a certain type of human being. It's just human beings have the the potential to go there and tricks out of it. Exercise is a really good way of getting your head out of your, you know, out of that deep, dark place. A lot of these things I'm talking about, by the way, are things I, I know but I don't I don't actually do. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to do more exercise. I'd love to not drink as much. It's funny when you said getting on with it, it reminded me I once played in Cardiff 
and I got in the cab, and I always like to ask when I get somewhere, what do people do for fun here? Yeah. And I asked the guy, I said, well, what do, you, what do people do in Cardiff for fun? What, what do you do? And he says, well, you just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. All right, well, I have a philosopher here, and at this point in the show, we start discussing the philosopher. You want to take a look at who it is? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a guy named Alex, Alex Fasella. Yeah. Very funny guy. Maybe you'll meet him in New York. I'll send oh, him wow. to your show. He's a comedian. A modern-day philosopher. He is a modern-day oh, philosopher. I didn't know there was such a thing. Oh, yeah. He's a comedian, and uh, he was a philosophy major. Wow. And he picks out the philosophers for this show for us to discuss. And oh, for, wow. for you, he picked out Edmund Burke. And he says the connection is that Jim moved away to a new country, Australia, and Burke frequently wrote support for a new country at the time, America. Right. So, so Edmund, what's his name? Uh, Edmund Burke. He wrote support for the new country of America. I'm not sure if he moved there. But it seems like a pretty good connection considering yeah. the role that we you just told me that moving to Australia played in your life. Yeah. I don't know. Like the indigenous people of America and the indigenous people of Australia never didn't do too well out of, uh, you know, people coming to these countries. But I don't think it's ever going to stop. I don't think uh, boats... Uh, literally are ever going to stop. Uh, it's what we do as a species. We travel the world and we just, you know, move around. I have a philosophy or I have a theory on England, why England became this island that ruled pretty much the whole of the world. Why that island and not another island? And I feel it's because of way men are not, you know, the species sort of evolved from Africa, or they think it's now Greece, moved up through Europe, moved all the way through England, went to Iceland, went to Norway as far as they could go, and then they started coming back again. So this wave of people being pushed to their extremes got to their extremes and then started invading, coming back the other way, and then you had an overlap of these two groups of people which spawned this gene or race of people that ended up dominating the world. So just to, to break this down, because I'm a little lost on what you said, I'm trying to follow it. The, they went up to so Norway. They, so could, if you could look at Europe, you can look where Africa is in Europe, that would be the first area without mountains that you would, if you would even look from uh, Iran, if you're going through Turkey, Greece, Italy, France, and then the UK, United Kingdom, all the way to the, and then into Norway. These people have gone as far as they could as a species. The first time they left came from Africa right through to that point. They went as far as they could go, and then they came back on themselves. When you say they came back on themselves, you mean they just returned home? No, the Vikings were the Normans. The Vikings invaded Normandy, and then... They invaded England, so the Vikings, uh, a lot of white people that you see, Caucasian, as we're called, apparently, are actually, you know, Vikings. They were the ones that, you know, invaded all these countries. And uh, so the United Kingdom uh, and a lot of places in Germany are people that are from originally Vikings. They were true, you know, nomadic, and they they 
conquered those areas. And then Britain became uh, a place that conquered the world. But in reality, the British are the Vikings. The Vikings. So why yeah. were the Vikings so restless? Because th that's what they were doing. They were continually moving. They were just going as far as they could go. And they went as far as they, they could go to Norway. You can't go any further north than there because you're in a frozen Tundra. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You're just, that's it. That's just a theory, you know. Down. Why were they called the Vikings? Good idea. Good question, sorry. And they didn't have two horns coming out of their hats. That was just for a movie. Oh, really? Yeah, they just thought, well, let's have something that makes them look really crazy. Huh. Um, so, yeah, and then that became one of those myths that they had two horns. I think they had one horn, actually, which looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they must have been happy when the movie made them yeah. <laughs> look more normal. <laughs> was there a king of the Vikings, a Viking king? Yeah, there was a devil king, wasn't there, that guy that invaded Normandy? I think his nickname was Son of the Devil or something. And he uh, was given he was given Normandy, and the king of France said, yeah, you can have it as long as you bend the knee and come down and bend the knee. And he went, all right, great. Took the land. Never turned up for bending the knee. Never did bend the knee. <laughs> and then decided, you know what? I'm the rightful king of England as well. So he turned up there. I want to go back for one second because you brought up Ireland again now to to when you were a kid and, and you said there was a war in yeah. Ireland, which yeah. we we know is the, the terrorism, right? And the IRA. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, were, did you see the terrorism yourself as a kid? Were you, um yeah, I mean, it depends what side of the. This is um, by we were all born in England uh, because when my mum and father got married, they had what they had in South Africa. They had uh, apartheid, uh, and it was a, run by the same people. It was you know it was started by the Dutch, the Orange. William of Orange, the same Dutch people in a lot of ways. In South Africa, they set up a white government for white people. In Northern Ireland, they had a Protestant government for Protestant people. They would advertise jobs, and at the bottom of the job, they would write, the application, Catholics need not apply. So you couldn't get a job in your own country. And uh, these people were being burnt out of their homes. And uh, so what you call terrorism was not just crazy sort of it was them trying to stand their ground and go, this is where we were, this is where we're from. We've been here thousands of years. We're now being burned out of these areas and we will stand our ground. So if you want to call it terrorism, yeah, but, you know, uh, they were had their backs up against the wall. Uh, and, the, and the war was a war where they could see eventually that the violence wasn't going to get them anywhere, mm -hmm. as it doesn't. Um, but it was sometimes the only option for some people. Uh and uh, they, they, you know, they they went from that, uh, which was a really horrible, bloody war. Mm -hmm. uh, they called it the long war, like the Vietnam. We yeah. will do this to the death. We will never give up on this. So they called it the long war. You know, as long as it's going to take, we'll just do this. But this huh. is our, this is where we're from. And uh, to where they are now, which I think, as complicated as it is, it's a total inspiration to the rest of the world. If Israel could look at Northern Ireland and go, they can do this. These two groups of people were at each other's throats. Uh, you know, and both, the, the, you know, the, the Protestant population of Northern Ireland have got 
equally as much right to be in a Northern Ireland, in Ireland, as much as the Catholic. So they totally have their side of the argument, like Israel and Palestine. But if they could say, look at Northern Ireland, anywhere else in the world, look at Northern Ireland, those, this group of people did it, you should be able to try. And even use that as a model. Go right, whatever whatever there was involved in biting your lip, shutting your mouth, and getting on with it, try that. Yeah, and I feel like it's a similar situation because I may have mentioned this at one point in another episode of, of this show, but I always think it's the people who are most alike that fight the hardest. Yes, <laughs> yes, very true. Yeah, the men that want to fight and the men that want to fight, the men that want to fight. And I think it's identity issue. I think it's like, hey, I don't feel unique because of you. Yeah, it's, it's something like that. It's a sibling rivalry because I remember when I was a kid and – I was real little, and someone said, what's your favorite color? I said, green. And they said, my little brother, what's your favorite color? He said, green. And I got mad at him. Like, get your own favorite color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's that's the one dealing in cocaine. <laughs> it's just the one you told us. Oh, yeah, the same one, actually. Yeah. You're nasty to him. No, I love him. He's 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 like my best friend. Okay. But we had a rough start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually do. Yeah, yeah, the sibling rivalry is, uh, you know, very real. Uh, anyway, I don't. I, I understand it when people uh, are fighting for their houses and their streets, but I don't get it when a football team is going up against another football team and um, turning this anger into something that's you know it's not a game of football. It's not a joke. You know this is real for some people. This is about a territory where you're being burned out of your house. That's not you know that's not con- confuse it with a game of football. Yeah. Burke says we should come to terms with the sublime. The sublime is something infinitely greater than us, for example, a hurricane. It is scary and beautiful at the same time because it makes us realize how insignificant we are. Literature can also do this to us, such as reading epic stories of God versus the devil. This feeling of insignificance puts all our daily problems into perspective. It is a constructive, enjoyable form of humiliation. A hurricane shows us that our boss isn't that big a problem. It's funny, like we were talking about ascribed importance and mm. and you were talking about the race cars and how this was the biggest thing mm. in the world to them, but to you... you well, I'm really listening to this because I really, uh, sometimes I, I get lost on what philosophers say, but that is just right on the money for me. He says, this keeps our ego in check. If our ego is leveled, we become more tolerant of others. We should encounter, and man, that's that just talks exactly to what I, we were talking about, conflict in Ireland and in Israel. It's it's almost like an ego thing I was saying. Like, yeah. Um, ego gets in the way of tolerance. We should encounter the sublime as much as possible through contemplation, study, exploring, etc. We must always remember how small we are. It is our hope to grow. Nice. Nice. Do you know there's that uh, the Voyager missions, the Viking, you know, the two Voyager missions. There were the two probes that were sent into deep space on the realization that uh, you could use the other planets as slingshots uh, to get beat gravity to get away from the third object to accelerate from it was to use the other planets and they had to do. It within a six-year period, otherwise the planets didn't line up again for another 150 years. 
So they sent this Viking probe out, and it would pass all the planets, give them loads of information on all everything within the empire of the sun, everything within up to the asteroid belt. And then it's now just gone beyond communication. It's gone beyond mm -hmm. where we can no longer. And they decided what would be the best thing to do before we lost. What would be the last command we're going to give? Uh, and it was the funniest thing for me because it, it was, let's take a selfie. Let's turn it round and take a photograph uh -huh. of where it's come from. Let's take a selfie. In other words, <laughs> cosmic you know, selfie. the most expensive, all-inclusive selfie that there's ever been, you know, change. <laughs> but it's a photograph that's amazing, which is this speck, this tiny little speck that's got an arrow pointing to it going, this is Earth, this is where you came, this is where it came from, this is how insignificant you are. And, uh, you know, I thought it funny for the selfie bit, but it is a great image as it's... As it's it could be anything, you know, but there's a, an arrow pointing to it going, this is Earth. And you go, oh, wow, wow, yes, I can see that. I can now get the insignificance thing. Yeah, it's crazy because you're, when you're so in it, whatever it is, yeah, it's impossible to see yourself. Yeah. And it's like when I watch old videos of my stand-up, I always cringe. And I go, well, why wasn't I cringing at the time? Yeah. Why? Why? Does I cringe at your stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> but why was I? Why was I so confident in it then, or not? I don't know if I was ever that confident. But yeah. why was I? Yeah. Why was I okay with it? Yeah, yeah. And but I'm the same. Exactly the same. Exactly the same feeling. So don't feel. I think everyone is. But I think it's because when you're, when you're in it, you don't see it. It's like you ever look at an old picture of yourself and you go, "What was that haircut?" Yeah. But. but with, I imagine like, my mom said she she had a friend at a diary and uh, her friend had a rough past and you know left it and, and she but she said read that there she goes, and she goes this is it I can't go on I've come to the point where I decided that it'd be better for me to die than continue like this and my mom said to her, what was it and she goes I can't remember. You know, I just can't remember what it was there. But at the time, it seemed really important. But <laughs> yeah. now, she can't remember. And I thought, that's fantastic. And I think that's the case with a lot of things. You don't you don't resolve issues. Yeah, forget about them. You move on. Mm -hmm. I've been raging with friends that have done something, you know, and cooked it into such a scenario and then realized later, I hadn't ever resolved that, but what I just did was move on. And next time I saw them, you know, wasn't even worth talking about. Right. So yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I when you're in when you're in something, how mm. important it feels, what you're describing, how important, how big it is. Yeah, yeah. Inside your own head's the worst thing. Yeah. Worst but, thing ever. I used to get panic attacks. They were horrendous. At a period two thousand and eleven. I might no, two thousand and nine for two years I had them. And uh whoa. You know, you can forget bungee jumps, skydiving, all of those things are, you know, don't even come close to sitting in your own bedroom with a panic attack and your body's jerking and going, <laughs> and that's all in your head. I that's used to get all... them driving in LA. It was a yeah. nightmare. I thought I was going to die. Yeah, yeah. You think you're going to die at the time, don't you? you think... yeah. And a minute is an eternity. A minute just goes forever. 
Yeah, I think ultimately, if there was such a that thing that we used to talk about purgatory, or that's what that's what that would be. You know, purgatory would be just a panic attack that didn't go away. Mm. And I read this thing on how to get rid of them. And uh, I had one in South Africa, and I was way miles from home. I had to do this theater, and I did a warm up gig the night before, and I was having this feeling of, what if this happens again? Well, that's what a panic attack. Is. What if that this? So this is really. I had the thought as I walked on stage to do five minutes. And it was a great spot. No one knew, but in my mind, oh, my heart was exploding, you know. But no one knew to watch it. And then the guy goes, yeah, let's go for a drink. And I went, no, let, I want to go to, I've got to go home to bed. I can think, I can't do this gig tomorrow. I'm going to have to cancel it. I'm going to have to pull out the whole thing. I read this thing on the line because I kept thinking, I can't take drugs. What drugs should I take Valium? But then I couldn't do the gig. I can't really start in that. Um, and I read this thing, which is telling you how to do it in one move. And the one move was invite it on, ask for more of it. And I went, no, but this is the most scariest thing ever in my life. And, and it, it goes, you know, it's going to be there. Don't say it's not going to be there, but invite it on. And just like I went to the, the, uh, into the bathroom, I've got a stupid pair of pajamas on. And I, I grabbed the sink and looked at myself in the mirror. I went, yeah, bring it on, you know, give it to me. You know, I'm never going to back down from this. I don't have any other job. I've got four kids. I'm not going to back down from this. No way. I'm just screaming at myself, like, but not like as a performance, like genuinely meaning it, looking at the scared version of myself, watching it disappear. And went to bed, lay down, passed out, woke up, went and did sound check, did the gig, without even a thought of fear. Wow. And uh, then it slowly started to, because then I would do gigs knowing that it was going to be there. And I, I would have that fear, but I would go, yeah, you're here. You come with me now. In fact, I'm going to grab you by the collar and take you on stage with me. And that was the end of it, really. That's beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, too. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, I yeah, think that'll help a lot of people. I, I, uh, I haven't told anybody that. I told one person that once before, but I've never done it on a radio thing. I never felt that it was a, a, a public thing. But when you do, because I've talked to other people about it, and they go, yeah, it's kind of common, you know, like it's more than you realize, but it's not one of those things. That... And there, once again, that's a primal thing, by the way. It's a fight or flight. There's two, there's two sort of mechanisms, fight or run, but there's also another one, freeze. Mm -hmm. I some animals freeze because then they looked I had the freeze and um, and I turned it into you know and there's so much to be gained from those cognitive therapy there's so many people are writing stuff learn from that you can get on the web and the, I'm telling you this is that was the way that worked for me yeah I'll tell you I'll tell you real quick my my situation the last time I had a panic attack I was driving on the 10 freeway in Los Angeles and yep. cars whizzing by me everywhere and I'm my whole body's frozen and I'm like am I hot am I cold I'm opening the window frantically closing it I, I'm just like all of a sudden I'm like I can't keep driving I can't keep driving but there's no way to get out I'm stuck between lanes I can't get past these people I'm gonna hit into a car if I try to turn I'm, I'm having a full-on panic attack and then I realized I'm not badly programmed. It's not like there's a glitch in my brain programming. Why would I die unless I wanted to die? Mm. 
And then I asked myself the question, like, do you want to die? And I was like, no, I don't want to die. I'm like, so if I don't want to die, then what am I doing here? Like, why am I, why am I so in my head that I'm going to die? I'm going to go into another car in another lane. If I want to live, I may as well just keep driving and live. And then I started breathing deeply and relaxing. Wow. And that was, that was the last one of those. that I Really? Had. The last one? The last yeah, one I had, geez. yeah. I'm, that doesn't mean they can't come yeah, back. Yeah, no, it's not to say that you should ever say they won't come back, but you now know if they do come back, you have that mechanism. So you now know, learn the mechanism and then don't worry about coming back because if it does come back, big deal, I can deal with it. I know what I have to do in order to conquer it. And yeah. then that way, the thought of it, worrying about it coming back was the biggest worry I had. What if this turns up again when I have to do something? Yeah. What if this happened? That was the worry. Now I go, you know what? Bring it on. You know, I'm up for this. If it happens again, I think I'll try that method next time. Yeah. It's a kind of anger I get, like a real yeah, pure anger. Like, you know, this is my job. I'm not backing down from this. No way. And that's where the fear is coming from for, for yeah. you. But it's so... That's where the fear the was coming from. I was doing stand-up for, a, you know, I was no longer that young kid that was... I was now uh, 40, and there was other younger kids than me, and they were bigger than me or funnier than me. I was being threatened. That's what. Well, that's where it all came from. I know exactly where it all came from in my mind. And uh, and I, I I cooked I cooked this concoction in my head that I had weakened and I was no good, and it was over. And uh, and that was the start of fucking two years of real. <laughs> and you put your th- you put yourself through it in the end. It's yes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all uh, a better man for going through it, coming, getting out the other end. I think. Yeah, I think that's important, and then it, it helps you carry on at this point in life. What else did Burke say? Well, What's his first name again? Edmund. Before I continue uh, reading what he said, or actually, I'm going to turn it over to you to read the next thing that he yeah, said. I'm not really uh, good at reading, better me neither. But I like the way you do. You just do it, and then you stumble, and then you continue. I like that. <laughs> I really like that. Thanks. Well, here's a, here's a little bit about Edmund Burke. He was born January 12th, uh, 1729, and he lived till July 9th, 1797. He was an Irish statesman, also Irish, wow. born in Dublin, as well as an author, orator, political theorist, and philosopher who, after moving to London, sounds like he he did your thing, served as a member of parliament or an MP, which I only found out when MP was this trip. I always, I never realized that MP stood for member Member of parliament Parliament, until I ran into the the owner of the stand comedy club, Tommy Shepard. And he said, I'm an MP now. (laughs) Oh yeah. And then my, my friend was like, do you know what that is afterwards? I go, yeah, it means he's a government guy, right? He goes, he's a member of parliament. I go, oh, MP. All right. For many years in the House of Commons with the Whig Party. The Whig Party, was they're the ones that wore wigs? I don't know. Let's take a look at the Whig Party real quick, just because I'm curious. The Whigs were a political faction and then a political party in the parliaments of England, Scotland, Great Britain, Ireland, and the United Kingdom between the 1680s and the 1850s, they contested power with the rival with their rivals, the Tories. The oh, Whigs, so they were like a liberal in between. They would halfway. I don't know. Is that there's Labour and there's Tories, but and then there's independents, the the, the, the liberals in between. 
It says their origin lay in constitutional monarchism and opposition to absolute monarchy. Right. That's the Whigs. And I guess they, maybe, I wonder if they all wore the same wig. They probably so did. You can identify them. And it says he was a strong proponent of maintaining solid moral virtues in society and the importance of religion in attaining that virtue and keeping society together. These views were expressed in his A Vindication of Natural Society. Burke criticized British treatment of the American colonies, including through its taxation policies. He also supported the American Revolution, believing both that it couldn't affect British or European stability and would be an innovative experiment in political development because the Americas were so far away from Europe. It's interesting. You know, I once, when I left New York for L.A., I tried to maintain my lease in New York. Right. It was too difficult for me to deal with having an apartment in New York that I was renting and subletting out while living in L.A. I don't know how the hell the United Kingdom kept a hold of Australia and India and all these places. Yeah. I couldn't even keep an apartment across the country. Well, in India... They had Gandhi, who said, you know, there's a thousand of them, there's 40 million of us. We don't have to fight, we just have to, uh, you know, just not participate. And uh, it was a great strategy. And I thought it was, a, you know, an amazing way of rebel rebelling. Yeah. You know, there's a really interesting story about the fall of the Berlin Wall and the things that instigated and I don't think it's talked about enough, but as far as uh, a strategy for a struggle. In Poland uh, and in these Eastern Bloc countries, they they attacked Russia with humour. They attacked... Uh, there was a, a satirical uh, show in Poland where the puppet government wouldn't participate with Russia's laws. Uh, for, so to start with... There was a, a Russian comedian who did a joke on Stalin and got four years in prison, two of them solitary confinement. So any jokes about Stalin would be met with absolute, you know, off to the gulags or whatever, mm -hmm. imprisonment, death. But in Poland, uh, there was a satirical show. Uh, and then in places like uh, Litvina, there was uh, Czechoslovakia had, you weren't allowed to do uh, political protests. Political protests were banned. So they would dress up as little dwarfs and uh, build a big sandpit. Uh -huh. and no placards, because you would get arrested for placards. What's a placard? A placard saying such and such a party. You know those th when you're holding up a b bit of a sign on a stick okay. that says the name of a political party. Yeah, yeah. That's a placard. So not you weren't allowed to do that. You weren't allowed. So what they did is they set up sandpits in front of the government buildings and just went there and didn't go to work and went and played in the sandpit. Like, if you're going to treat us like children, we're going to behave like children. So they just <laughs> dropped everything and went to the park and played in swings. Yeah. You know, all of them, uh, if, if the park is full of all these adults on the swings, going down the slides, playing in sandpits, going, treat us like children, we'll behave like children. And that was, that was the onset of the fall of the Berlin Wall. And that was something separate to what Gandhi did, which was just mm -hmm. saying, well, participate in humour. I watched at a time when I thought, what am I doing telling jokes? Such a waste of a life. To thinking, oh, wow, this is important. This has got, you know... 
some meaning. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like you had some real crises at some point with oh, what you were doing. Crises, yeah. You know, they're on a day to day basis, but um, but yeah, but there's. I mean, like, no, these are just thoughts. I think are, you're more in your head than uh, yeah, you oh, let I'm, on. <laughs> no, I'm deep with my head sometimes, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm learning to get away from it. Going back to your hands, like your yeah. dad, like your dad. Yeah. I guess he did. He not have these kind of things because he was he too did. busy. He did. He told me about them as he towards his death. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. What, what did he say? Well, um, oh, because you know I had this sort of depression thing that kind of I don't even want to talk about it because it's so common now to hear about a comedian not having depression. I think it's probably more um, uh, of a, of a story. Uh, and he told me about his thing. Uh, that he went through when he was told me where he was. He was seventeen. And he was plowing a field, and it was in the summer. And he was thinking, "Oh, what is a point in this? What is a point in all of this?" And he struggled with the rest of his life, but never ever told him. And I go, "Why are you telling me about this?" He goes, "You didn't need to know." And uh, he always worried about having children because he didn't want them to have it. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I don't know. I can't remember how the question started. Oh, I was asking you about your dad and whether or not he got yeah, his head. Yeah, he was deep within his head. But I mean, the upside of that is probably this is where my job comes from as well. This is where a lot of good thoughts, a lot of funny thoughts. I I write, whenever I find myself going, <laughs> I go, what was that? Write that down. Whatever it was that made me laugh. Right. I wasn't trying to find a joke. I was looking at something and then just going, <laughs> all right, write that down. That's yeah. how it works really for me. Yeah, and that comes the thought process comes through in the in the show, and it, yeah, it's it's great little nuances that you find in life. Like one of the, my favorite moments in your show is when you talk about how everybody has that moment where they almost die when they slip for a second in the shower, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then they're just like, and then it's over, and you're like, well, that one's just for me. Yeah, <laughs> no know? one knows but me how close I was. <laughs> yeah. And it happened to me this morning in the shower, <laughs> and I was like, "Good timing, yeah. <laughs> right when I'm going to uh, to talk to you." But I, but a lot of your stuff was just very, very basic truths that resonate that you never stop to think about. So, would you mind reading this this little paragraph for us okay. from Burke? Okay, difficulty is a severe instructor set by the supreme guardian and legislator who knows us better than we know ourselves as he loves us better too. He that wrestles with us strengthens our nerves and sharpens our skill. Antagonist is our helper. So yeah, so that's an internal, I, the way I take that is he being, I think he's referring to God, but I think that's me, I'm the internal antagonist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, uh, if God is everywhere and he is within us, then we are God. So at that moment when we realize the problems, when we realize what's wrong with us at that moment, we are the God. When, uh, yeah, when you think about it, the idea of God is all-encompassing. Yeah. And therefore our identities don't even exist. Yeah, within. we're just, you know, and yeah. when we come up with that moment of truth and the, and the, and the antagonist is, is that thing. I always like that. The map of the universe, that's the other one that gets me. You know, the map of the universe. Have you ever seen the universe as a map? Someone's gone to a lot of bother to get all the galaxies. No, so in they LA, can... we just have star maps, and they're just people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a different map, that one. Those are the ones that count. Uh, yeah, 
Well, what's the? What were you going to say about no, the that's rest of the funny. Leave that there. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so you leave them with a gag. Yeah, who cares about no, no, that? No, I want to hear. Please. No, so I like that idea. So where are we? Where are we when we're looking at this map? So we're the person looking at this map. So that's where God is looking at the universe. Mm-hmm. So that then you're you're trying to become God. You're always going. To, if we can make a map of the universe and look at where we are, then we can look from the point of view where God is. That's what oh, we're trying to do. Interesting. So um, yeah. He's probably just looking at the stars, going, where does she live? I'll go to their house <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> he that wrestles with us strengthens our nerve and sharpens our skill. So it's a he that is the reference, the word there, I'm thinking. Uh, you but know, how does the wrestling sharpen your skill? Is that maybe maybe I would say the way that hits me is, when you're talking about your own internal wrestling, when you're looking in the mirror, having yeah. that anxiety attack, yeah. and ultimately it sharpened your skill for going out yeah. there and dealing with things. Yeah. I'm definitely a better performer and comic than I was going into that. I'm absolutely uh, someone who grew as a result of that horrendous experience, which was totally invented in my head. There was no catastrophe. There was no. There was nothing other than just living a life and deciding that I'm doomed. <laughs> well, yeah, so, I think it was. I think it was for you. It was probably this transitional period where you went from being a young man to being an older man. Yeah. And again, last night you talked a lot about this point in life, and you yeah. had the this talk about the fuck it list instead of the bucket list. And, yeah. And all the all this stuff that's sort of like. There was another thing that happened, by the way, that happened in London. I saw a girl get killed by a bus, and uh, I had to run back to her. I was the first person to run back to her, and uh, that was quite distressing, and that was just before the onset of that, maybe a couple of months before it, and I went and saw a psychiatrist, and he goes, that would have been instrumental. You know, that would have shaken you. Uh, And I did any time a bus could go past, I would go into a little bit of a shock. I would go into, yeah. if I heard, heard a bus go past near the edge of the road, I'd go out there like and do that body tremor. It reminded you of how fragile your own mortality was. But also, yeah. what do people, when they go through war, I mean, oh, I saw one person. What do people, do? how do they come out of that? Well, not well. Oh, no. So then you get a real insight to that, going, oh, yeah, well, you know, um, that's probably the case for a lot of people. Uh, and these, you know, they're just, hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And it's not because they've invented something in their head. It's because, you know, uh, these other things that they've seen. But it's also like, remember I was telling you about when I look back at these old clips of myself doing comedy, it's it's weird because it's it's a new perspective. You you realize I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. I, you almost don't recognize that person yeah. because that person exists in that time. Yeah, you know, um, but that person's inside you. I think. You think so? Yeah, they're, they're not. That's what I do when I look at my ch- children. I go, the little kid is inside there somewhere. Like they haven't gone. I don't look at them as going. Oh, they're in another place. I can look at my child now at thirteen and go, that beautiful three-year-old that I really had a laugh with. He's still in there. I can still contact him. So it's not like it's you know another place. I can look at him. Why is that important to you? Because I think that the thing that you're talking about, you then, is right here, 
inside that and it's part of you your layers that are growing on top of it like a tree sort of I think you have a lot of layers. <laughs> <laughs> you must be older than I think. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Someone he, lied to me. I, I'm probably about a thousand years old. Uh, I've seen it all. You've got to unlock this okay. freaking phone. Right? Your fingerprint. There you go. Here so, we go. So yeah, but but I mean, there's this there's this time of self realization when you realize I'm this now. I'm this now, yeah. and. And that, and that, maybe it, maybe it's got relevance in in how you got to be this, but it, that's that's done. That's yeah. that point in time. If yeah. you didn't have that little video clip or something, it's just yeah. expired. It no longer exists. And then, for you, there was this panic that came out of. I think a lot of it came. You mentioned came out of seeing these younger guys and and maybe seeing this woman die and realizing life is fragile and yeah. and you're getting older. Yeah. And I think it was a shift in perspective for you, which also maybe made you come out stronger, realizing now I'm talking as this guy. I'm yeah. not talking as that guy anymore. Well, I just didn't, I, yeah, and I'm not freezing. I've just, I've, I've got, I've used the help of other people uh, that have gone through these experiences, and uh, which is a beautiful thing about the web, the information that you can get that people are sharing and going, right, this is what you need to help you through this. Oh, thanks. That's exactly what I'm going to do. So that's where it came from. It wasn't. Uh, it was from the help of other people. But you're also telling the story now of this point in life. Yeah. In your comedy, you're you're telling us this is what it's like to be here. Yeah. You know. And I wonder if you were doing that before the the panic. No. Or no, you were, no, you were no, still no. trying to hang out over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're part of your experiences, aren't you? These things. Um. Anyway, that wrestle with us strengthens our nerves, as, as to quote Edmund. Yeah, well, we have good three, old Edmund. Three quotes here. Yep. And uh, if you'll do the honor and read us uh, the first one, we must all obey the great law of change. It is the most powerful law of nature. There you go. Oh my God, that's exactly what we were just saying. Yeah, you know, don't dwell on the past. You move with the tide, and the time. Really, I'm just. I have a hard time with change. My wife has no hard time with change. She loves change. Yeah, but she always says, "Oh, you just." Have, she'll be like, "This is what we're doing now." I go, "I don't know." She go, "Oh, come on, you just don't. You hate change, right?" Or even when we have a tenant, we have a room that we rent out in the house, and we have a tenant, and they live there for a few months, and then they leave. I'm like. I go into like a little panic. I'm like, what if what if we hate the next tenant? What if yeah. she goes, no, it's good. Maybe we'll like them even more. Yes, you know? yes. Change is good, but yeah. I, I have a hard time remembering that. Get rid of them. A friend of mine, where he was in Australia, and he played in this Irish band, and he was from Glasgow, and he never really went back uh, for ages. And uh, I goes, did you miss it? He goes, I did, and then I realized... I went back after 10 years. I went to the pub that I used to go to where I think they're all going to be there. And he goes, no one was there. And he goes, the thing that I was missing wasn't even there. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fantastic, you know. <laughs> he was missing this thing that didn't even exist. It only existed in his own head. Yeah. And, uh, and then he says, and then I moved on. I became a person, a citizen of Australia, and realised that thing that I loved about Scotland, that was back in the 1970s. It's not there anymore. Yeah. Wow. You've got to create your own thing. Shall I read the next one? Yes, please. Example is the school of mankind, and they will learn at 
no other. Example is the school of mankind, and it will learn no other. And they will learn at no other. So in other words, you only learn by example. You will let, you know, yeah, yeah. So you can say things until you're blue in the face, but when you see someone else do something, then that's your ex that's where the education kicks in. That's that's my experience here in Edinburgh because yeah, I I tried to ask everybody before I came to understand what I was getting into, and nothing described. Yeah, yeah. What this is. Yeah, so absolutely. You go along with that too, for sure. I sometimes take uh, advice off someone, but I have to really trust their advice. If anyone gives you long bits of advice, that's, uh, you know, I do, but yeah, I, I, I'm a visual person. So I, if I see something, sometimes I'm doing a gig, uh, I'll do this thing where I'll go and walk into the audience and watch the person on stage and I'll picture myself, oh, yeah, I can see an audience watching me, and that's the best way of getting a feel for the room. The feel for a room is very important to me. Yeah. Like I could ditch a whole plan if I walk out and go, oh, they're all drunk. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, they're all, they're all hammered. Oh, they're not listening to long-winded stories, right? Frickin' drop that and just go straight to real punchy shit. And, you know, so seeing somebody is way better than, picturing it in your head and also the other thing of cooking up in your head and then when you're on stage you see it for what it is oh yeah i saw this other comic uh doing his whole act uh but with the microphone off on stage it was for live at the apollo a big gig and i went wow that's fantastic because then you're getting used to being there mm -hmm. so yeah, and, up, and then they go, give me a minute, turn the mic off, and then just do, I walk over there, I say that, I walk there, now I know what it's like, now I really know what it's like to feel like being here, yeah. and then do the gig. Get comfortable uh, in the space. To, totally uncomfortable in the space. I've already, I've already seen it. Oh, yeah, this is not what I was picturing in my mind. This is just me standing here. Yeah. You know, this isn't such a big deal. Disorder, this is the third, disorder augments grandeur. See, I would struggle understanding what that means. Disorder augments is to change, right? So disorder changes grandeur. grandeur. Okay, I think I'm getting that. Um, the chaos is part of the thing that will destroy grandeur, which is you saying, thinking something is of importance. Uh, you know, because we, 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 we give these things the grandeur that, uh, you know, we think coming to Edinburgh, this is a big thing in my career. This is, I really need to get this right. Mm -hmm. But then you get here and you realise it's pissed Scottish people, you know, <laughs> eating kebabs, <laughs> haggis. And the disorder makes you realise, oh, yeah, this isn't important. <laughs> and, uh, and the relaxed nature that you come at your comedy after realizing yeah this isn't you know this isn't you know i did that with montreal i put too much importance on it this isn't important this is just a bunch of drunken canadian people <laughs> they were probably originally from scotland that have gone over there <laughs> pissed uh yeah so yeah that's uh disorder augments grandeur good on you edmund yeah. burke yeah nice
Wow. Well, that was great. Thanks so much. No, thanks. I enjoy, uh, uh, I don't know, I enjoy doing a podcast, I think, more than people enjoy listening. I really enjoy a conversation in, uh, in the middle of the day. Sometimes you're at a pub at night. Yeah. It's a lot of waffle, but yeah, we seem to have had. That was a very good conversation. Thank you for having me on it. Yeah, my pleasure. And and by the way, Jamoan, is that a common Irish name? No, my mum made it up. It was totally uh, original. Was a lot. Of, a lot of people in Australia thought that it was an Irish name. So there's a lot of children called Jamoan. I couldn't even get my own name on Instagram or those sort of things. Instagram had about 157, so there was Because 100. of you. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get my own name. What's your last name, by the way? McKeown. M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Jamon McKeown. Yeah. That's got a ring, too. Yeah. A lot, of that people have, see, a lot of people say McKeown, but that's M-C-Q-E-W-A-N. Why'd you get rid of the last name for... Because uh, it was just a mouthful, Jamon McKeown. It just sounded... Jamon McKeown. And then Jim Owen, people... That was my name, but people was thinking that my surname was Owen. So it was Jim Owen McKeown, which became too long. <laughs> and because the name was made up, uh, it was an original name, which is what people are looking for anyway yeah. in show business. So I just thought, look, I'm just going to go with what I've got here. Did you ever ask her where she came up with it? One grandfather was Jim, the other one was Owen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for doing the show. Cheers, Dan. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Thanks again to Jim Mullen. Thank you to those who write in. And to those who don't write in, please write in. The comical at yahoo.com is my email address. I'd love to hear from you. I love hearing some feedback on the episode. Nothing like getting some feedback. Putting out a podcast is hard work, folks. And the download numbers are good, but the feedback could be better. I'd love to hear more of what you think of the episode, of who you are, and how you found out about the show, or anything, anything you want to say. Say hello. And if you've already said hello, why not say hello again? It never hurts to keep a conversation going. Maybe it does, but I'm not going to go into that. I mean, there probably are circumstances where it does hurt to keep a conversation going. But in this case, I think it's a good thing. And I encourage it. So please write me at thecomical at yahoo.com. If you have a spare moment in your busy, busy lives, I would really appreciate if you could go on over to iTunes and leave a nice comment and five stars saying, hey, this show is great. This show is grand. I love this show. Something along those lines so that more people will see the show pop up on the iTunes charts, discover it, and listen to it. Other than that, you could also share it on your social media. That would be nice. Pop it on uh, your Facebook page or over on Twitter. Tell your buddies on Instagram about it. You get the idea. You're part of something. You're part of a podcast listenership. So do your part. Do your part as a part. Part, part. I'm pretty jet-lagged. I'm sorry about this. If I'm rambling on too much, folks, so I'm going to just get off the mic and tell you I will see you next time with another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. And in the meantime, there's always moderndayphilosophers.net where you can check out past photos from the show and all kinds of stuff like that and make a donation, pick up a copy of Danny LaBelle, the nicest boy in Barcelona, available at standuprecords.com. Thank you, guys, and be well until next time. So long now. Bye-bye.